Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today we have a very special program. Dr. Larry Spargimino begins a conversation with TV host and author Todd Friel, and staff evangelist James Collins will take a close look at what the Bible says about blood moons. Be sure to subscribe to our new podcast. This daily program, Watchmen on the Wall, is now a podcast. Subscribe and share. Watchmen on the Wall podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Pastor Larry and Todd Friel are here now to discuss Jesus Unmasked. Todd Friel is our guest. He is one of our specially featured speakers at our virtual summer prophecy conference, July the 30th through August the 7th. That means the whole conference is online. It is very convenient. You don't have to travel. You know, friends, we initially had eight speakers scheduled, but because of their great popularity at our prophecy briefing in Denver, we have added two more speakers, Bob Cornuk and Greg Patton, a total of 10 speakers. It's going to be fantastic. Our guest for this show and the next is Todd Frail. He's one of the speakers. Hi, Todd. So nice to have you on the show today. You know, the good news is if you've got 10 speakers for one conference, even if they are all complete stinkers, it's a good deal. <laughs> I would agree. And they're not stinkers. They're really good. In fact, I'm one of them. You know? it really, it just doesn't matter because we evangelicals, we are about a good deal. We're about gun permits. We are about watching Fox News. And we like a good deal. So if nothing else, join the conference because it's What's special about all of that to me, we are on the right track because we love Jesus. We believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. And hey, this is good and really good because I'm going to be speaking to you about your book, Jesus Unmasked, The Truth Will Shock You. I remember that book. I think you know, it might be about six years old now. I'm not sure, but I remember it well because I haven't unhitched my Old Testament. <laughs> well, I interviewed you a couple of years ago on the book, and you said, wow, you've read the book. Yeah, I like to read the books when I speak to the authors. <laughs> Most people don't do that. They read the table of contents. Yeah, Yeah, I know. The subtitle of your book is The Truth Will Shock You. What is so shocking about Jesus? Yeah, it's not like shocking new revelation. It's actually something that we used to teach in catechism. That was the old-fashioned way we used to train up children. We didn't think they were knuckleheads. We didn't think they needed whipped cream and pizza parties (laughs) all the time. So we used to teach them the Bible, and one of the theologies that was taught Underneath the banner of biblical hermeneutics, that's right, we're talking about teaching kids these things, Mm -hmm. is the study of typology, pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, revealed in him in the New Testament, but all throughout the entire Old Testament, we see pictures of Jesus that point us toward the reality of his presence at the fullness of time. So we used to teach kids these things. When people discover that Jesus Christ is littered throughout the Old Testament, they tend to be shocked, and in a good way. It's not like, oh, another scandal, another somebody Mm. did something terrible. No, it's like, whoa, I had no idea the Bible was that thematic. Yes. Well, why did most Jewish people of New Testament times, and especially the religious establishment, reject Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. I mean, even Jesus' own disciples were confused when Jesus was crucified. It's a shame. In Acts chapter 17, in fact, I'll be speaking, opening this up a lot 
for the conference. But in Acts chapter 17, we see the Apostle Paul and his ministerial approach. This is how he did missions. He would go to a town where there was a synagogue, and synagogues were everywhere in the Middle East. These were dispersed Jews, Jews who had abandoned or been driven out of Israel, would set up shop in a foreign land, and they wanted a religious center, and so the synagogue became that place where there was religious services, schools would take place, and Paul would go there first. And Acts 17 says that Paul would reason with these dispersed Jewish people from the scriptures that the Messiah had to die, had to rise again, and then in 1 Corinthians 15 he tells us in three days. So Paul would talk to Jewish people via the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And the good note in this really is that a lot of Jews did respond in the first century. Mm -hmm. Paul's missionary journeys, there were a lot of people who were converted who were Jewish that did realize, yikes, the Messiah has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe we could ask this historical question. Why did we see a proliferation of Jewish believers in the first century, but we don't see it so much today? Could it be because we're not reasoning with them from their scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again? I think that the best thing we can do for Jewish people, first of all, they find it rather shocking that we Christians actually know the Bible. <laughs> right. But we open it up and show them, here's your Messiah, this is, and this is how Jesus fulfilled it. I think we need to get back, especially with Jewish people, but in Acts chapter 18 we see that Paul reasoned with people from the Scriptures in the marketplace. We just need to be better biblical evangelists. Amen, I agree. And Ken Ham, who is the founder of Answers in Genesis, gave a tremendous endorsement of your book. He said this, Jesus Unmasked will silence any Bible critic. What is it about your book that led him to make that statement? Okay, first of all, in full disclosure, Ken Ham isn't cheap. It cost a fortune for that endorsement. I had no idea he was so mercenary. <laughs> At any rate, by the way, you want some inside dish? I'll take it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this isn't gossip because it's about another Christian, so it's sanctified. <laughs> Ken Ham is one of the most kind and generous people you will ever meet. Yes. Um, he is a lion when it comes to defending the gospel. Yes. He doesn't just defend Genesis. He's defending the gospel, the entire Bible. But when you get to know Ken, there is story after story, the eulogies that will be spoken about Ken Ham of his kindness. And so he was kind enough to give that endorsement. It silences the mouth of the critic because the Bible is axiomatic. When people take their shots at the Bible, and it's, it's not true, it's got mistakes, it's like the game of telephone, all you need to do is open it up, and it will silence the mouth of critics. Yes. There's another way, incidentally, you can silence the mouth of unbelievers. And rather than constantly engaging in an apologetics debate with them, open up the law of God. Paul said it silences the mouth and brings the whole world guilty before yeah. God. So you've got yourself a highfalutin scientific empiricist who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. Open up the law. See how they compare to God's standard on the day of judgment. How will they do? And when you do that, that too will silence the mouth of the critic. Well, as you say, the Bible is axiomatic. I like to think of Jesus as the self-authenticating Jesus. There's no greater proof of who Jesus is than Jesus. And yeah. we need to get into the Word, allow the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds, and wow, we will have the proof and the power. 
Yeah, and incidentally, then we will have the wisdom. Yes. And I think this is yes. a, this kind of undergirds the theme that we've stumbled into here. And that is we use the Bible, the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word, uses the Word primarily to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We should be using it too, and we should realize that apologetics, as necessary as they are, do not get people saved. Mm -hmm. Using the teleological argument, the cosmological argument, it is not going to convert anybody. We are prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within us and explain the rationality of it, but the problem is they're irrational because their minds are broken because of the noetic effect of the fall. They can't think rightly. They need regeneration first. Then they will think rightly. Yeah, I think of those arguments as really being for the benefit of believers, not for (laughs) non-believers. That's a great point. (laughs) I went through all of that many, many years ago, and I wasn't persuaded. But, you know, the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. They need to get saved. They need to get Jesus in their hearts. Then their minds, the noetic effect of sin, as you mentioned, blows away. If I could inject this by by means of encouragement, that... We look at the world, and they're thinking it's so busted, they can't tell a boy is a blue and a girl is a pink. (laughs) How can they miss something so obvious? Well, the reality is they've already rejected something more obvious. They deny the existence of God. That's the most obvious thing in the universe. So once you do that, you are just on your way to a land of foolishness. And we see it, and we go, ah, we hate this. Let's be careful. We don't want to become Christian moralists or gulp Pharisees, Mm. where we just try to get the country to behave rightly. No, they need to get regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of God's Word. Then they'll think rightly, and then they'll behave rightly. We can't fall into the trap of becoming moralists. Amen and amen. Well, friends, our guest, Todd Friel, is one of our speakers at our virtual Summer Prophecy Conference. What is a virtual conference? Well, it is one that is totally online. You will need to register. For more information or to register, please go to swrc.com. Now, if you're going to attend, you must register. I want to emphasize that. Please go to swrc.com. The registration, only $49.99 with unlimited access. Registration with unlimited access plus the DVDs of the whole online conference plus a calendar and a select book is $79.99. So you get the DVDs of the whole conference plus a calendar plus a book, $79.99. That's our virtual summer prophecy conference. If you don't get the DVDs of the conference after August the 7th, it's gone. It's no longer online. You will want to get all of the DVDs. You can look at them at your convenience, pass them around to friends. This is a great offer. Review them, take notes, look at them, pray about them, meditate on them. It's a wonderful opportunity. There are a total of 10 speakers, 10 high-power messages on DVD and unlimited access, $79.99. Just go to our website, swrc.com. Let's get back with our guest, Todd Frail. Todd, you wrote about, quote, two naked vegetarians, close quotes. <laughs> Who were they? <laughs> did I write that? Really? Yep, you did. I read that first. <laughs> that, would, that would be Adam and Eve. Yes. That would be those non-fictional characters. They are real. They are actual human beings that God made uniquely to glorify himself. Need both genders to do that, by the way. This is an encouragement for both genders. <laughs> Men glorify God, but in a limited way. 
we need woman to glorify him in other ways. God is that big, it requires two genders. So we should never get haughty about who's the more valued gender. We mm. are equally valued in the eyes of God, simply right. given different roles. Right. And they were assigned roles, and they were also given one command. They violated and suddenly realized that they were naked. And we see the shedding of blood, the first killing of an animal, by God himself to cover up their shame. Prior to the fall, nudity wasn't a problem, and we need to teach this to our kids, because we have a tendency to want to tell our kids, hey, be modest, make sure you dress appropriately, make sure that you cover up. Why? Well, it's because of the fall, because of the shame that was introduced, the trust that was broken between a man and a woman. There was an immediate recognition, yikes, to be in our state is to be in a sinful state. They were in a shameful state because of the fall. Prior to the fall, walking around in your birthday suit wasn't a problem. Why? Because there was no sin. But now that we know we're naked and we go, yikes, I don't want people to witness this, that's a reminder of the fall. That's why we cover up. That's why we dress modestly. And to dress immodestly is to basically shake a fist at God and say, You know, I don't think sin is a big deal. Mm. I don't think that the fall was much of a problem. And I don't think that I need to follow your rules of covering up. We need to teach our kids the why. And a lot of it starts by teaching in the garden where we saw two naked vegetarians. Mm. Well, I know you're going to give a dissertation on this question. Do you think the forbidden fruit had worms in it? Is that why God said don't eat from that one tray? Or is there another reason? They didn't have pesticides then, so yeah, it was a worm <laughs> issue. God was just being sensitive that they didn't get some sort of, what is, what is it called when you eat a, a trig, trigonosis or something like whatever. Yeah, stomach cramps. No, or... it's much bigger than that. Yes. Everybody these days, they love the idea of free will. Well, if you will, the only people who really had genuine free will were Adam and Eve. Yes. So that they could choose to love the Lord or to love themselves and to love the things of this world and not the creator of the world. And so God gave them a law for them to follow. One law, one rule. And of course, we know that they biffed it and we all feel the effects of that. That's Romans chapter 5. And so God had given people free will. And here's what the atheist would say well, God shouldn't have created the world because of sin and evil. They love that trope. And they would say, well, if God knew that all these bad things were going to happen, why did he do this? If we didn't have a world where two people at least didn't have free will, the atheists would bellyache even louder. (laughs) What do you mean no free will? Then we're just automatons. We're just robots. And God is just cruel and authoritative. Well, Well, here's what we see. Somebody, your representative, did have free will. And they chose wrongly. And this was, by the way, all a part of God's prearranged plan. Let's not think about the story in the garden and go, okay, so God came up with plan Jesus. He huddled with the angels to figure out, what are we going to do about this mess called sin? No, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4. This was God's prearranged plan. Why? Well, this actually goes back to a degree to our two naked vegetarians. God has different types of attributes. God has these attributes that we do not share, and they're non-communicative. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. And yet we get it in a small degree. There are certain attributes that God has that he can put on display amongst himself. So, for instance, in the Trinitarian Godhead, 
God can show off his power amongst the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God can love himself. He can love the Son. He can love the Spirit and vice versa. But there are certain attributes that God cannot put on display with himself, and those attributes are mercy, grace, and loving-kindness. What do you need for those attributes to be put on display? The answer is sinners. So God created a world. He gave us free will. We misused it. The curse was entered into the planet as God's prearranged plan so that God could send one who would crush the head of the serpent, whose heel would be bruised, so that sinners could be forgiven by the grace of God alone, prefigured, by the way, when God shed the blood of an animal for the covering of shame, so that God's attributes of mercy, grace, and loving kindness can be put on display. Amen. Adam and Eve could never appreciate God for those magnificent attributes. You and I can. That means for eternity, you and I will appreciate and know more about God because of sin entering the world than Adam and Eve could possibly appreciate God before the fall. To get a copy of the complete conversation with Todd Friel, call 1-800-652-1144. Todd Friel will be speaking at our upcoming virtual prophecy conference online and on demand. All access passes are available right now. With the All Access Pass, you can watch presentations by 10 different speakers. Register today by visiting our website, swrc.com, or simply call 1-800-652-1144. James Collins is here now to look at what the Bible says about blood moons. The Bible says in Genesis 1.14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. On the fourth day of creation, God created the sun, moon, and the stars. Not only were these light-giving bodies to be a day-by-day calendar and weather forecaster for humankind, but they were also to be prophetic indicators. They were given to man as signs in God's prophetic calendar. I'm excited to have Pastor Mark Biltz on the phone with me today. Pastor Mark is a best-selling author and the founder of El Shaddai Ministries. He is an expert on the Jewish roots of Christianity, and he is also an expert on solar and lunar eclipses and how they correlate with Bible prophecy. Pastor Mark, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. What a blessing to be on your program. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the sun, moon, and stars. Would you explain signs, seasons, days, and years as they relate to Genesis 1.14? Sure. It's absolutely incredible. We have to understand the sun, the moon, and the stars were created like the gears in God's celestial timepiece. You can almost consider the moon as the minute hand and the sun as the hour hand on God's celestial clock. When he says they were created, number one, for signs. Well, the greatest thing about them as signs, we know that has to refer to eclipses. And the great thing is every tribe, nation, and tongue understands the language. He didn't have to give a sign in a dozen languages. He could just use the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so when he says he gave them also as seasons, it doesn't mean winter, spring, summer, or fall. That same Hebrew word that is translated as seasons in Genesis 1.14 is translated as a feast 
In Leviticus 23, where it talks about the Feast of the Lord. Well, when I think of seasons, I think of winter, spring, summer, fall. When I think of feast, I think of food. Well, they're both the wrong translation. The word means an appointed time. So God created the sun and the moon and the stars for appointed times and refers to them as days and years. Well, those are the holy days, like Passover, Pentecost, Yom Kippur. And the years refer to the Shemitah year, the Jubilee year. These are the dates God will intersect human history. That's what it is about. Wow. So God does have a calendar. Oh, absolutely. He has a very prophetic calendar, and it's always right on time. The spring feasts were fulfilled to the very day, the very hour of the very day. And all the biblical holidays were based on the lights in the heavens. This is why Passover had to be in the spring. And so we need to understand they practiced Passover every year for 1,500 years because the Lord was going to die on Passover. Okay, he even had King David write the funeral hymn that would be sung while he was on the cross a thousand years before. So it's amazing when we see the exact timing of everything, how all of the feasts were actually dress rehearsals for what was going to happen on those very days. What is the difference, Pastor Mark, between astrology and biblical astronomy? Boy, I'm sure glad you asked that. The biggest difference is astrology is all about you. Astronomy is all about God. This is why in Psalms 19, verse 1 through 4, it says the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork, and then it says there's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, everyone can understand. And then it says their line has gone throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. That implies like a chorus line, like they're singing God's praises, the sun, the moon, and the stars. So as long as we realize that it's about him, not about us or you, then you're not going to get into the weirdness of astrology. Well, if you're just tuning in, my guest is Pastor Mark Biltz. Mark is the author of Blood Moons. Pastor Mark, Blood Moons is an incredible book. What are Blood Moons, and why are they important prophetically? A Blood Moon refers to a lunar eclipse, when the Earth comes between the sun and the moon and blocks the light of the sun. So that is referred to as a Blood Moon. Now, recently we had what was called a Super Blood Moon. The orbit of the moon around the Earth is elliptical. And so when the moon is at its closest point to the Earth, if there's a lunar eclipse then, it's called a super blood moon. But it's because the moon turns blood red when the Earth comes between it and the sun. What is the significance of a blood moon falling at the time of a Jewish feast? See, that is what is huge. That is what is huge. Because God, first off, says in Joel 2, in Revelation 6, In Matthew 24, in Luke 21, in Zechariah 14, in Isaiah 66, he talks about blood moons and the sun turning to darkness, all of that. I believe they're wake-up calls. Because here's the thing, God set up his calendar. The church isn't on God's calendar, we're on the pagan solar calendar. But what God said there to go by the sun, the moon, and the stars, that is why God has their calendar begin on the new moon because every month is based on the new moon. Now, here's the thing. You can only have a solar eclipse on a new moon. That's why God is using the sun and the moon as his timepiece, so that whenever they have the new moon, and they happen to have a solar eclipse, then they know God is trying to tell us something. And it's the same thing with the full moon. You can only have a lunar eclipse on a full moon. 
And this is why God put Passover on the full moon and the Feast of Tabernacles on the full moon. That way, they're going to be looking directly at them when the lunar eclipse comes, because that's when their feast day is. Well, the rabbis in Israel believe that the super blood moon is an omen of war. Now, do you agree with that? Could very well be. Here's the thing. I believe eclipses are warnings of things to come. There was even a blood moon during the time of Nineveh, when Jonah was speaking to Nineveh. That's in recorded history. Okay. Well, the sun is what the nations go by, their solar calendar. So a solar eclipse is a bad omen for the Gentile nations. Now, Israel goes by the moon, so they say a lunar eclipse is a bad omen for the Jewish people. So a blood moon could definitely be a sign of war that is coming, or it could be a warning to the Jewish people within a Gentile nation where the lunar eclipse occurs of anti-Semitic attacks coming. I mean, look at what is happening, the anti-Semitism that's going on all over the United States right now at the same time that this blood moon occurred. Please explain the Shemitah year and the Jubilee. Wow, this is powerful. Just like the days of the week where they rest on the seventh day, God also set up, you'll read about it in Leviticus 25, Leviticus 26, where every seventh year, that's when all the debts were to be canceled. This is when the land got to rest. And then the Jubilee was then the 50th year, and that 50th year really was also just the first year of the next seven-year Shemitah cycle. Now, here's where it gets really heavy. The Shemitah cycle, Israel did not keep it for almost 490 years. And this is why they had to go into captivity in Babylon. All right? So because they did not keep the seventh year of the Shemitah cycle. And so this is why they were judged. So we have to understand Daniel's 70 weeks is based also on a cycle of seven years for each week. Now, I ask you this. Don't you think Daniel was Jewish? Absolutely. Well, if he's Jewish and he knows he's in Babylon because they didn't keep the Shemitah weeks, his prophecy about the Shemitah weeks, and this is going to be a mind-blower for everybody. We have to understand, and I think you know this, there's one week of seven years left, correct? Yes. Well, guess what? It's a Shemitah week. That means the seven-year tribulation can't start any day. It can't start any year. It has to begin the first year of a Shemitah cycle. Okay, because it's a Shemitah week. Daniel was Jewish, and it all was about the Shemitah cycle. Well, guess what? This year, Rosh Hashanah begins the Shemitah year, the seventh year. Next year, Rosh Hashanah 2022 begins the first year of a new Shemitah cycle. So if the tribulation does not start next year, it can't start for seven more years until 2029. That's amazing, amazing. We've been speaking with Pastor Mark Biltz about his book and his DVD set called Blood Moons. Thanks so much for taking time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me on. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Today in our Resource Center, we have three excellent items. The book, Jesus Unmasked by Todd Friel, and the DVD book combo, Blood Moons by Mark Biltz. 
Call 1-800-652-1144 and order your books and DVDs today. That's 1-800-652-1144 or online swrc.com. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.